Hey, we're excited you're here. We're excited all of you are here. When Lynn and I got up this morning, it's pouring down rain, and I'm like, hmm, wonder who'll show up today. You know, it's Southern California. The best part about Southern California and rain on a weekend is everyone stays home, so you had an easy drive here. You know what I'm saying? Lynn, yeah, amen is right. Yeah, nobody's going to the beach, nobody's going to the lakes, you know, they're all at home waiting on the rains to go away. So we had an easy drive. We're thrilled that you're here. Our numbers are not down, I don't think, hardly at all. We may have two people not here, um, but we're excited all of you are here. We're, we're thrilled to have you here. I appreciate so much of being with us. This morning we're going to be talking about gifts for the common good. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and what He does in our lives. Um, I don't remember who, but somebody came up to me after class this morning and said, I've, I've been in the church forever and I haven't heard a sermon on the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, well, show up, because that's what we're doing today. So here we are. And, you know, this is a topic that has lots of nuances. You know that, right? And a lot of people look at this thing in peculiar ways and different ways. And I don't know that I'm going to share anything with you that you don't already know, but I'm going to share with you. And we're going to give you some things to take home and to think about. But the most important thing that I want you to realize about our conversation this morning is that this conversation is about the gift of the Spirit, how He works in us for the good of us all. They are gifts for the common good. God didn't give us His Holy Spirit and give you some gift of the Holy Spirit so you could do something with it all by your lonesome self for you. This is for the church of the living God. This is for all of us who are here. That's what it's designed for. That's what it's intended to be. Those gifts of the Spirit are given to us for the betterment and the embetterment of the church of the living God. And that is what it's all about. It's not something that you can do, something great that you have. It's not what it's about. It's about how do we improve this assembly. How do we improve the church? How do we bring more glory to God as we serve one another? That's the topic. Before I get right into this thing, though, I have to share something with you that I find very, very interesting. There's a verse of scripture, chapter 12, verse 3, it says, therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what? I just got to be honest with you. This one is tough for us. This is a tough one, and it's tough for believers because we think that, well, anyone can say Jesus is Lord, and Paul kind of identifies and clarifies all of us and says, look, you can't say that unless the Spirit of God is present. You can't say Jesus be cursed and the Spirit of God be in that either. We are just not really comfortable with the presence of God's Spirit being in our lives. We think anyone can say that. Anyone can, can read those words. Anyone, but Paul says, look, you can't say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit being present and mean it. You get what I'm saying? That's powerful. That goes against the grain of so much of who we are as people. Because in our world, in the world of the 21st century, in the world of all of the scientific discoveries that we've made over the last eons of years and generations, we've almost eliminated the need or presence of God in so much of our world. I remember a long, long time ago, one of my professors in college was talking about the mindset of the Jewish people in the first century when Jesus was walking and Paul was teaching. And he said, you know, when a Jewish man or Jewish woman would look outside and they would see the rain falling like it has been the last couple of days, they would say, look at how God is causing the grass to grow and how God is causing the grass to turn green. And we don't even think like that anymore. We know that there's a scientific process. I remember, I, I don't know if I was in the 6th or 7th grade, but I had this biology teacher, and, and she, she said, you know what, we need to learn the process of photosynthesis. That's what makes stuff green. 
And I literally could write out the whole process of photosynthesis. I had to memorize that for a test. And for years I could write that thing out. And you know what? God wasn't in any of it. From the perspective of my science teacher. It was all a chemical process. And I know, I know there's a chemical process involved in the process of photosynthesis. But who made the process? Amen? Amen. Who made the process? God did. And without his great wonder and, and imaginative spirit that brought all of this whole world and universe into existence, there wouldn't be any photosynthesis. It looked like Mars. It's all brown. God is here in this place. His Holy Spirit is here in this place. But because of the mind of man today, so many of us have basically taken the Spirit of God out and we placed Him in a box and we put a lid on it and we said, oh, we can't touch that. And it has no relevance in our world. I remember years ago, I was teaching a class when I was with a church in Alpharetta. Had a young man who was visiting, don't even recall where he was from, but we were talking about God and the, and the creation of the world and how God is working in our world and working in the lives of men. And he made a statement. He said, I believe that when God created it all, he started it all, and then he sat down and he rested and he's not doing anything anymore. That was a little alarming to me. That someone who was a believer in the church would publicly make a statement, I don't think God does anything in the world anymore. And he put it all in motion and he's just waiting. Because there's so much in Scripture that is diametrically opposed to that way of thinking. God is very much in the world today. He is very much at work in the world today. He's working all around us. He's just asking us to come and join him. More and more, we should be like who, who, what was that guy's name, the Ethiopian eunuch? What was the dude's name that came to see him? Yeah, Philip. Yeah, remember him? What did he do? He, he went over and he stood by the chariot. Why did he go stand by the chariot? Anybody remember that? Because the Holy Spirit said, go stand by the chariot. That's why he went. You and I need to be people who recognize and sense and feel the presence of God's Spirit because sometimes he's going to tell you to go stand there. And then you're just going to wait for whatever happens. But if we're not receptive to God calling us and, and leading us in our lives, how will we ever know where to go and stand? And the reality is for most of us, for most of us, we don't sense that. And we just kind of meander through life. And we believe in God. We do. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We believe in God and the, and the gift of Christ and the Spirit of God. We believe so much we were even baptized to wash away all of our sins. We believe in all of that. But when it comes down to how we live, we turn that switch off. Because we're not in control. And we prefer to be in control. Paul said, you cannot say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, which really messes up our theology. It really messes it up. There are a lot of people who were Jews in the time of Jesus 
who had varying and differing beliefs about God and what God does, what he doesn't do, how you get to heaven. If there is even a heaven, there were some Jews who believed in a resurrection. There were some who didn't even believe in a resurrection. And my question for you is this. How much time did Jesus spend trying to discern which one was the correct one? How much time did Jesus how much time did he spend in his life debating whether the Pharisees were correct or the Sadducees were correct? How much time did he spend debating whether the Nazarite vow was the correct one to take or you could just go ahead and just do whatever you wanted to do and live the way that the Pharisees didn't wash your hands and all was good? He didn't spend a lot of time debating those guys as to who was right or wrong. I'm wondering how much time we should spend debating who's right or wrong. Because remember, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Messes with our theology. But I want you to know it's not about our theology. It's about God and the presence of His Spirit in our lives. That's what it's supposed to be about. Therefore, I tell you, no, no, no one who is speaking by the Holy Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Be careful about judgment. So let's look at these things. There's this manifestation of the Holy Spirit that comes to us. Verse Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul writes this. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Manifestation simply means the exhibition, the showing of it, the presence, the bestowment, the expression, the manifestation to all of us who become believers. Remember what Acts 2.38 says. What? What does it say? And he that is baptized will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. You get all that? You know what that means? It means we get something. That means we get the manifestation of the Spirit in our lives. That's what it means. Something's going to happen to you. You're going to get a gift. And Paul in just a moment is going to outline these for us. He's going to show us what these gifts are. But the most important thing I want you to know that it's all of us who come into the family of God, who wash away our sins, who call on the name of the Lord, who come up out of that water, we are given something. And that manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given to each of us so that we can do what? We can have this Spirit for the common good of the church. It's not just for you. Okay? So here they are. Here are the gifts that are given to us. Now you don't necessarily get them all. Okay? You might get one or two. You might get three or four. You might get half of one. But you and I get these gifts based on what the Holy Spirit deemed important for us to have. And the first one of those gifts is the message of wisdom. Have you ever, ever in your life known someone in the church that seemed to have an insight and wisdom into what the Word says? Have you ever known somebody like that? When they look at a verse of Scripture or a passage, they just kind of see through it and they can see what the real root and heart of that whole thing is all about. You ever known someone like that? And you're scratching your head saying, how does he get that? How does she get that? Where did that come from? They're not that smart. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't study Hebrew and Greek, but they, they get it. You ever known somebody like that? I've known more than one or two, and it's not me. 
I've known some people like that. They just seem to have an insight. And it's amazing to sit and hear them talk. It's amazing to sit and listen to them and, and to, to just hear what they have to say about the Word. They have this insight and wisdom that's beyond anything that they could ever learn in a, from a book or from a teacher. They just have the ability. It's kind of like, for me, it's kind of like people that are like engineers. I don't do math. I, I don't do math. If it's beyond simple Addition, subtraction, multiplication, and I don't even divide much unless I have a calculator. I just don't do, and if there's a fraction, baby, I'm out. I don't do that stuff. And, and I sit around sometimes and I get to visit with engineers occasionally and I'm mesmerized by the knowledge that they have. It blows me away that they can do the things that, I, that they can do. Give me a guitar, I can play it. Give me a book, I can read it. I even wrote one. Some of you were gracious enough to buy it. You even read it, and that's even more amazing. But I can't do math. I don't do science. That's not me. But some people have a knack for that stuff. They have an insight and a wisdom into that. The Holy Spirit of God gives some of us in the body of Christ the message of wisdom. We can look at the book. We understand it. And if you understand it and can see that stuff, by all means, share it with us. And let us know what you know and let us see what you see and let us hear what you hear so that we too may come to know and understand the message of knowledge. Same kind of thing. There are some of us, we just don't have a lot of that. We read and study, we read and study. We can't remember anything. Have any of you ever known anybody that like could memorize the Bible and they could quote it verse for verse? You ever known that? I remember years ago, I think I shared this with you, but years ago I, I went to the lectureship at Fried Hardeman University and there's a preacher that's really popular back in the southeast United States. His name is Tom Holland. And I was sitting up in the balcony in, in the uh, auditorium where they were and I was looking down at the stage and Tom literally, he walked to the podium from his seat and he had a Bible in his hand. He was preaching from the book of Ephesians and he had a Bible in his hand and he put the Bible on the podium and he never opened the Bible. Not once did he open the Bible, but from the beginning of the book to the end of the book of Ephesians, he quoted the whole thing before he finished the sermon because I was following along and I'm sitting there about to fall out of my seat because I can't believe he quoted the whole book to me. Brother W.L. Toddy, preacher that was in Indianapolis, Indiana for umpteen years, long since passed away. You could quote a verse, read a verse of scripture to him and W.L. Toddy could quote the verse before it and the one after it. Anywhere in the Bible. I can't do that. Don't even test me when the sermon is over. I can't even tell you what book it's in most of the time. I don't know why I can't memorize. I have a theory, but I'm not going to share that with you because someday my mother will watch the sermon and I don't want to embarrass me. I have a theory. But I'm telling you, there are people that have knowledge. They get it. They know it. And if you have it and you know it and you get it, don't hold it in. Share it with the body. That was given to you for the common good of this whole church. To know that he gave the gift of faith. I'm just going to be very honest with you. In the church of our Lord and Savior, I think the people who have the greatest faith are the women. I'm just saying. I think it's the women. I look at some of our beloved sisters right here. She always tells me she's old lady. She ain't old. She's, I'm not telling you how old she is, but she's not old. But her faith is amazing. It is amazing when I see some of the women in our church, the elderly women especially, they are the rock of what the church is all about. Their faith is amazing. You know, you know that even in the time of Jesus, 
It was the women who kept that thing going. Wasn't the men. They all ran off. The women followed him. It's the faith of the women that have kept the church alive for years. Lynn, when we were in college, Lynn and I, we went to a little church up in North Arkansas. I was preaching there, filling in for one of my college professors. And there was more than a few occasions when we'd show up at church on Sunday morning. I was the only man. I was the only one. But that church was still there. And I would guess that church is still there to this day. And there are a handful of faithful women who continue to uphold the name of the church and the name of the kingdom of God in that community. That's the women that are in the church. And ladies, don't be afraid to let people know how faithful you are and how much the name of Jesus means to you and how much reading that book means to you and how much it has meant to you through all of your life. Because that faith and that kind of faith needs to be shared, not just with us, but with the whole world. And then he gives us the gifts of healing. We were talking in the Bible class this morning. There are a handful of you. I, you know, when I saw Mark in the hospital and his foot's laying over here and he's laying over here, I wish I could have just walked up and said, done. And put it back on and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. But I didn't have that ability. God just didn't give that to me. He didn't. I don't know why. I guess because he didn't think I needed it yet. But I do have a gift of healing in other ways. And some of you do as well. Because some of you have an amazing ability to listen to somebody. And when the conversation is over, they hug your neck, almost break your neck saying, I feel so much better. Anybody else ever have that happen? If that's not healing, I don't know what is. The gift of healing is an amazing thing. And it's not just reattaching the ear that was cut off by the sword. Healing can be done in so many different ways. Guys, if you have that ability, don't hide it. Be available. Be available to those who are in the body of Christ who need an ear to listen to. The gift of miraculous powers. Jesus displayed this in an amazing way one time. You remember, there were thousands and thousands of people who were there with him. And they had been listening to him. And, and one of the apostles came in and says, Master, teacher, these people are hungry. They haven't eaten in, in days and they're going to starve to death. We need to send them away to get food. And Jesus says, well, don't you have something to eat? Well, we got just a handful of, of, of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And Jesus said, tell them to sit down. We'll take care of that. And all of a sudden, Jesus breaks the loaves and he takes the fish and he divides the fish and he feeds thousands upon thousands of people and they take up more basket full of leftovers than they had to start with. Have any of you ever been to a potluck at church where that happened? I have been there. I have gone to church potlucks. It'll probably happen next week after the shower because you're going to have more food left over than what you bring. I mean, those kind of things, it sounds crazy, but they happen. They happen. I've never been to a potluck where we ran out of food. I've never run out of food at a church potluck. There seems to always be more than we need and people keep taking this stuff home. It's amazing to me what God does when he needs to among us. Miraculous powers. No, you know what? I can't go out and lay my hands on your car and make it start. I don't know how to do that. God didn't give me that ability. I don't even know if that's a miraculous thing. But I'm telling you, there are other things that happen sometimes in the church that we look at and we're like, well, that was just a matter of the circumstances and it was coincidental that all of those things transpired so that the... Baloney! Where's God? Give credit where credit is due. 
Sometimes amazing things happen. And we think it is a matter of circumstance or coincidence. Uh-uh. There ain't no accidents. There aren't any coincidences. God is among us all the time. To another, he gives a gift of prophecy. Now, prophecy is one of those fun words. When we hear the word prophet or prophecy, we think, oh, he's going to tell the future. Like the world's going to end in 12 days. I read that on the internet. It must be true. And it was a prophet that said it. Come on. I'm not one of those guys. I don't know that you're one of those people that can tell the future like that. But in the truest sense of prophecy, prophecy is the proclamation of the word of God. And I know there are at least two or three of us in this room who know how to do that. Amen? If you have the ability to proclaim the message and get the word out that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God who died for somebody's sins, maybe yours, maybe mine, and he rose from the dead, then by all means, proclaim it. Proclaim it. Shout it from the rooftops. Talk to people, man. Don't keep that thing in. You know what? <coughs> I'd bet a lot of money. If the people in Washington figured out whether they were going to build a wall or not, and word got out about that, it'd be all over the news. CNN would not hide it. They wouldn't hide it. Whether they're going to build it or not, I promise you, it'd be, it'd be all over the news. Everybody would know. Well, help me understand why. Those of us who are prophets in the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit has given you the ability to talk to somebody about something to do with Jesus. Why can't we tell people about it? Why can't we? And I don't believe everybody in this room is a prophet. You're not. You weren't given that gift, and that's okay. <clears throat> if you weren't given that gift, be quiet. Because you might mess it up for somebody. But I'm telling you, there are a lot of us in this church that have the gift of prophecy. And we need to be telling more people about it. And don't come to church and tell me, well, Ed, we ought to be doing this, or Ed, we ought to do that, or Ed, we ought to do that, unless you're going to go do it. Because it doesn't do any good to tell me what we ought to do. If you know what we ought to do, then by all means, don't let the door hit you when you leave here today. Go do it. I should have never spoke about the Holy Spirit in class because I got a little riled up. I'm amazed at how often we know what to do and we tell one another what ought to be done and we leave here and we do nothing. May God have mercy on us. Another gift that he gave us is the ability to distinguish between spirits. And Paul even goes so far as to say, and I know you need this one because there are going to be some people who come in that aren't teaching the right thing and you need to know the difference in the two. And I would have to say amen. We do need people who have the ability to distinguish between spirits and what is the correct message of the word of God and what is not. All of us could tell story after story of crazy things that have gone on in the name of Christ and in the name of religion that had nothing to do with the truth of the gospel of Christ. We could all tell those stories. Some of them even made it into the news, okay? When you're sitting in a, in a, in a, on an island somewhere and you're waiting on the spaceships to come take you down and you drink the special potion to get you there quicker, come on, that's not the name of Jesus. It has nothing to do with Christ. And even in our fellowship, in this room, in this place, at times, there are times when someone is going to walk in that door or walk in one of the other rooms over there and they're going to bring some crazy wild message that we know because we know what the word is. That's not true. And we need to have the boldness and the courage to say, hey, buddy, 
<clears throat> I don't think that's exactly the right thing. You might want to think about that. If they don't accept it that politely, we can get more direct. I can. I suspect you can. It's important for us to understand the spirits because there are some evil spirits in the world. I touched on it briefly last week. There are some shows on television none of us ever need to watch, and they're not even R-rated. They're just bad shows because they have bad uh, uh, language, and they have bad symbolism, and they can take you down a road that you don't want to go. You don't want to mess with that stuff. They can take you there before you even know it. And you get caught in and sucked into that stuff, and it'll destroy you. You don't want to go there. Speaking in tongues. I appreciate Aaron. He read a little bit of a different translation than what the uh, NOA says. It talks about speaking in other languages. And there is a sense where that is what Paul is talking about. But later in this book, I want you to understand that Paul is not just talking about speaking in other languages. Like when I go to Mexico, I speak Spanish. I speak it very poorly, thank you very much. But I do speak a little bit of Spanish. When I've gone to New York in the past, they speak a different kind of English up there. I'm just telling you, it's a different English than what I learned in Alabama in high school. It's just different. And, and I'm telling you, we, we, it's not just about the language, this, the spoken language that people communicate in. There is another kind of language that Paul is talking about. There is another kind of speaking in tongues that he's speaking about. And, and I, I like to refer to it. This is just my term, not necessarily Paul's term, but it's a prayer language. And I know that there are some people, when they, when they pray, there is something about them. When they pray, there is a sense that comes on them. There is a sense about them that they don't, they don't, really, they don't really know exactly what the words are, but there's a groaning in the Spirit that they have to do. And that's powerful for them. Now Paul talks about, he says, you need to be able to interpret some things. And he, in the next chapter, in, in chapters uh, four, 13, 14, 15, he spends a little bit of time talking about the assembly and pe coming into the church. And he says, I'd rather you speak five words intelligibly than 10,000 words in some language that nobody understands. It wouldn't do any good for me to come here and speak in some crazy language, whatever it was, and none of you understood it. That would be worthless to anybody in the church because the languages, the tongue that Paul's speaking about here is one that is for the common good. And so if I come here and speak in some babbling, whatever it is, even if it were a true prayer language, it would do no one any good. And so I have to speak words that you understand. That's why I try not to use big words in my sermon. Because some people don't get big words. Years ago, I preached a sermon on the Asian words of Paul. Justification. And there are other words that end in the little suffix T-I-O-N that Paul uses. And some of those words are hard for us. And we don't get them. It's like a church language. Take those outside the body of Christ. Nobody even gets that. They, they don't get those words. I don't think Jesus used too many of those kind of words. So I want us to realize that when we speak with one another, we need to speak in a language that we understand. Had the funniest thing happen to me some years ago, right after Lynn and I moved to California. I was working with a church in San Clemente, and I was trying to meet people, and I, you know, I was just doing my thing. I mean, I'd moved here from Atlanta, Georgia. And, and if you're in the South, even in Atlanta, and Atlanta's kind of a metropolitan city, but there's some things that carry over from the country even into the city of Atlanta. 
But if you're in the South and you're introducing yourself, it's first and last name because somebody might know who your mama is and they might want to call your mama because of something that you've done, okay? And so when I was introducing myself, hi, my name is Ed Bush, and people are looking at me like weird, not because my last name is Bush and the president stuff, but because they're like, why in the world are you telling me your last name? I don't want to know your last name. And no one was telling me their last name. Bob Agamotta and his wife, you know him well. Some of you, the rest of you do. I was sitting with the Agamottas at lunch one Sunday after church, and I was sharing my frustration with Bob and his wife. And she started laughing. She said, Ed, are you telling me that you're introducing yourself as Ed Bush? I'm like, yeah, what's wrong with it? She said, nobody does that in California unless they're running for political office. Nobody will talk to you. <laughs> and I, tell, I promise you, I stopped that day telling people my last name. And it was like I turned on this light switch and everyone started liking me. And I was having real conversations with people. And now when I go to Atlanta, I never tell anyone my last name. And they're like, what's the matter with you? You don't have a last name. It's a cultural norm, but I'm telling you guys, the words we use to speak with other people are important, and we need to use words that people know. Use your heart and your mind to know the words to speak. Yes, we might speak in some crazy wild language that none of us understand except the Holy Spirit of God as He delivers it to God, but, if that's, but when we're talking to people, use words people know. You might be surprised at the relationships that you build with others when you spend just a few minutes speaking to them in a language they understand. So Paul says all of these, all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he has determined. Not everyone in here has the gift of prophecy. Not all of us have the gift of healing. Not all of us have the gift of faith. Not all of us have any of these particular gifts in any significant way because it's only the Holy Spirit that gives it to us. And I can't even tell you what you got. I can't tell you how much you have. That's you and God's Spirit. And you got to wrestle with that. And you got to figure that out. But somewhere, somehow, you have to become comfortable with the fact that God's Spirit is living in you. And He's not just on some ink on a page. He's living in you. And as much as the genetic DNA of your mother and father in you, the genetic DNA of the Holy Spirit of God is living in you. And it was given to you when you obeyed the gospel of Christ. And you got to build on that and you got to work with that and you got to make more of that because God gave it to you to use for the betterment of the body of Christ. And don't forget, it's all for the common good of the church. Paul spent a lot of time talking about the church. He spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians talking about the fact that we're one body and all the parts of the body have something to do. There's some parts of my body I don't understand. I, I don't understand it. I had some little minor surgery over the last couple, three weeks. A little spot on the side of my head that all y'all kept telling me was cancer. It was. It wasn't bad kind. It was basal cell. I got it whacked off. Thank you. Your persistence literally caused me to go, and I thank you very much. So I don't even have a scar. She was pretty good. But I had this little spot right here on my side. There was also basal cell. It's about a two-and-a-half-inch incision, small spot. She cut it out, and I ripped the thing open after she took stitches out. I had to go back again. She said, what are you doing here? I'm like, I showed her. She's like, why did you do that? I'm like, like I wanted to. The common good. We're all given things for the common good. I don't know why I had that spot here. I don't have any idea. 
I don't know exactly what it is about my body, my chemical makeup that causes me to get those little things, but I have them. But you know what I made out of that whole situation? I made an amazing friend. The doctor that I saw is one of the most amazing physicians I have ever met in my life. She got a little clinic up in East L.A., probably further than any of you would ever want to drive to go to the doctor. But if I have to go to the doctor tomorrow, I will drive to East L.A. It's a family practice. And I mean literally a family practice because her mother is one of her attendants and her sister and her cousin. I mean, it is literally a family practice. And they only charge you 25 bucks for a doctor's visit. Something that I didn't understand, I use. Something that God gave me, for whatever reason, allowed me to have, I used. And I will continue to use. Because, see, that's what God gives us these gifts for. And I'm not saying that little skin cancer was a gift of the Holy Spirit, but I promise you this. The gift of prophecy and healing and knowledge and some of those other things that he's given me, that I used. And I have a responsibility to use them in the way that God intended for them to be used. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us powerful things. <clears throat> Paul goes on, and I'm preaching way long today, and I'm not going to apologize. So bear with me. You're the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. The church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, the workers of the miracles, those having gifts of healing, those able to heal others, those gifted with, with the gift of administration. Speaking different kinds of languages, tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do work miracles, do all give the gift, have the gift of healings, do all speak in tongues, but eagerly desire the greater gift. And I think you know what the greater gift is. It's the gift of love. See, we've been so focused on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the ones that don't work anymore, we fail to realize that there's a gift that the Holy Spirit gives us that all of us can have. And that's the gift of love. It's not any different than speaking in other tongues or faith or knowledge and so I just want you to take just a moment and read this. And I'm just curious if you could put your name in there. I'm not saying that you have to, but I'm just wondering if you can. Like, I am patient and kind. And Ed doesn't envy, doesn't boast, and isn't proud. Ed isn't rude or self-seeking, easily angered, and keeps no record of wrongs. And Ed doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres. And he's the living essence of love. And he never fails. And if you ask her, right there, who's my wife, she can tell you that my name doesn't fit there on those lines very well in some of those instances. I ain't that good yet. But that's the essence of what God wants us to be. And that is the Holy Spirit of God. And we seem to forget that. 
We hear that little verse of scripture at weddings and other nice things and niceties of sermons, failing to realize that this is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. So I'm just curious if you can fill in your name and if you would be comfortable reading that to yourself tonight before you go to sleep or maybe in the morning when you awaken to remind yourself of the kind of person that God would like for you to be. The greatest of these that remain is love, faith, hope, and charity. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. Yeah, faith is important, no doubt. Hope is hugely important, but love, love is the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And I thank God he's given it to so many of us. But my question for us is how do we show that? And where does it come up? And where does it live in us? Paul says that manifestation is to be given for the common good of us all. And I'm curious, where does it show up? I know that you know that there's some people in this church who need an extra, an extra shot of love from us to them. I know that you know that they need that. My question is, are we willing to give it? See, the greatest challenge that we have in the church is that we show up here and we think we've done our Christianity. That's the greatest challenge. We come here, we pay our tithe. Let me rephrase that. We come here, we make our offering. Because some of us, we don't even make our tithe. And we think God is happy with that. And I'm telling you, this is what God really wants. Can we be a church that loves that way? Can we be a church that recognizes that, yep, there are broken people in our midst right now today. There are broken people in this world. And I'm not just talking about his leg. There are broken people in this place who need us to listen to them, to spend time with them, and to love on them. Our song leader is going to lead this song. I was made for this. And my only question for you is, seriously? Is this what you were made for? Is there enough evidence in your actions among this body of believers to let anyone know that you love them? Come and lead our song. Uh-huh.